The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Congratulations once again to the class of 2023. Uh, I'm just so proud to have been with these guys for so long um, in youth ministry down at the Outback with our high school students. It's been a a pleasure and a joy um, really to see this class just grow and flourish and serve in so many different kinds of ways. Um, We all know this is a class, they were freshmen when COVID hit, and so they kind of had that cloud hanging over them for a little while there. And But they bounced back in a pretty big way, and it's been a very resilient class, and I think a very good leadership class as it relates to our our students down there in the Outback. Many of them will go on and serve in Impact. We call this their extra credit year um, as they serve one last time with Impact, our Impact ministry um, here. And I always tell these graduates whenever they, they finish high school, I say, listen, you can come to anything throughout the summer. We still consider you a high school student until you move on to whatever is next for you. So we are not, we are not kicking you out today, just so you know, um, if you're a high school senior. Um, so we love uh, this class. So uh, we're going to be jumping into our series, um, Learning from Jesus, and we are um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And if you remember in our, in our first week, we talked about the character of discipleship. And really, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus kind of unpacking for us what it looks like to be a disciple, a follower of his. Now, the title today, I stole this from somewhere. You might know where this is from, but about 30 years ago, there was a movie called A Few Good Men, and there's a famous scene where you know the scene um, where uh, Jack Nicholson is being questioned on the stand by Tom Cruise's character, and Tom Cruise says, I want the truth, and Jack Nicholson says, you know, you can't handle the truth, and I'm not going to act this out for you this morning, uh, but, or will I, I will also not show the video, I can't play that in church, uh, in a church service. Uh, but but I'll, I'll get to later on in the sermon why I chose this for today's title. Uh, but I know the last two weeks have been convicting and heavy as we've been discussing things like anger and lust. But don't worry, today we're just talking about being a person of integrity, some lightweight stuff. And uh, this will relate well to, I think, Senior Sunday. So look with me in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, where it says, Again, you have heard that it was said... To those of old, you shall not swear falsely, <clears throat> but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. As we've seen over the last two weeks with anger and lust, Jesus gives this summary statement of what the law says. He says, you have heard that it was said, you, not, you shall not murder or you shall not commit adultery. And that is what the law says, but the religious leaders would, would stop right there and they would miss the intent behind the law. And they would miss that murder starts with anger, and adultery starts with lust. And they didn't recognize that sin always starts and begins in the heart. You see, there's never been a sin that's been committed externally that also wasn't committed internally. It always begins in the heart. And in verse 33 here, Jesus gives a summary of what the law said about oaths and vows in that time. But but I'll take it further and he's going to show how, what the original intent behind the law, what the original intent behind the law, what that was. And this is related, verse 33 is really related to the third commandment, the Ten Commandments, do not take God's name in vain, but also the ninth commandment, which is do not bear false witness against your neighbor. And so we're going to go back to the Old Testament law, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, 
where this is the third commandment, and it says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not, will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So the first commandment out of the ten prohibited the worship of false gods. The second prohibited worshiping God, the true God, in the wrong way. But we get to the third commandment, and it seems, on the surface, it seems small compared to the first two. The first two about idolatry, and the third one, it seems like he's just saying, watch what you say, watch your mouth. You know, don't, don't swear is what it looks like he's saying. But listen, how we speak about God and use his name seems pretty important to him. And that's revealed here in the third, the third of the Ten Commandments. You see, the word vain means empty or worthless to no good purpose. I got this little list here from a book by Kevin Young as he's describing the, the third commandment. And he says, talks about how this really prohibited using God's name in three different kinds of ways. What is false, what is frivolous, and what is, pho- what is phony. What is false pertain to things like oaths or they might make a vow and say, I'm going to do such and such and use God's name to solidify the oath and then not do it. They're using God's name to deceive. <coughs> today we do this by things like, he referred to this as ways we do this today. We might attach God's name to an opinion that we have or maybe to plans that we are, are, are planning to do. We might say things like, you know, God told me to fill in the blank. Well, you know, if, if, if you use that kind of language, it, it's sort of hard to argue with you. If you say, yeah, God told me to do this. And, and so you're using God's name in a way that I think that is false and attaching his name to our plans. There is frivolous. <clears throat> this is to use God's name in a flippant way or a casual way. And uh, then thirdly, there is what is phony. This might be people in business. They want to attach God's name to their business. Or maybe politicians do this, where they want to attach God's name to their name and, uh, as a way to, um, to bring in a certain voter block. And this is, if they're not truly a Christ father, this is a phony way to use God's name. Now, in my youth, <clears throat> I thought that Exodus 27 was only about modern-day swearing, so a frivolous use of God's name. And I do think that we can include that here. Because to use God's name when you're frustrated or something bad happens, that's a way that we demean his name. You know, what if you use a person's name in this way? So, if, for example, what if I <clears throat> stub my toe and I just yell out in the house, ah, Courtney Tate. I think my wife would be offended by that, wouldn't she? You know, Dave, why are you always connecting my name with something bad? You know, I shouldn't use her name in that way, flippantly, or in a way it's not intended to be used. We wouldn't use a person's name in this way, so why do we use God's name in this way? You know, some might say, well, you know, I don't mean anything by it. I know I throw God's name around, but I don't, I don't mean much by it. But that's just what's being talked about here. We're using God's name, and we don't mean anything by it. That is the essence of taking his name in vain. But another way that they would use God's name <clears throat> was to invoke a vow or an oath. While in their heart, they had no intent to follow through on that vow or oath. 
This is using God's name to deceive someone. So we also go to Leviticus chapter 19, where we know that the law <clears throat> is restated there. The Ten Commandments are restated in Leviticus chapter 19. And we're going to look at verses uh, 11 through 12. It says, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, and you shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my, by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So these commandments are connected to one another. There is stealing, there is lying, there is using God's name in a vow you have no intention of keeping. And these all are essentially integrity issues. We all know that healthy relationships are built upon trust, whether or not you can trust someone. If people can't, I'm going to get some water. Hang on, just give me a second here. I kind of got into a coughing fit in between services, and it hasn't gone away. So if someone has a cough drop, throw it my way. I might need it later. I'm serious when I say that. Um, I'll find it on the stage. So, um, so we read Leviticus 19, 11 to 12. So if people can't trust one another, then all of society has a way of breaking down, right? Like think about a scenario. Think about a, a, a scenario in our world where if you can't trust anyone to, in any way, you know, thank you, sir. Let's give this guy a hand. <laughs> I knew somebody would come through for me on that one, so I may have to use that in just a little bit. But think about a scenario where if you can't, if you can't trust anybody in your life, how chaotic the, the world will become at that point. So, um, so the idea behind the law was to keep lying in check and to make it less frequent. The idea behind the law was to become a person of integrity you know, be someone that people can trust. But here's what happened. Jesus is dealing with the case law that they had built around the command, do not lie. You see, for them, the seriousness of lying was based on the kind of vow that someone took. If they'd make a promise or they would make vows, they would often swear by something. We see this happening today. We see this happen in our world today. At times, people will say things like, you know, I swear on my mother's grave. I'm not sure how mother's grave got, you know, in, got brought into that equation. But people will say things like that all the time. Well, they'll, they'll, they'll call on something. And so what was happening back then is they would swear by items in the temple. If someone swore by something towards the middle of the temple, the closer it was to God's name, it was a more serious vow. We know that the temple is associated with God's presence and his name. And so for the people back then, the temple was a place of God's presence where his name dwelled. And if you swore by the temple, then you were invoking the personal presence of God in your vow. And so Jesus deals with this case law further when he rebukes the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23. You can turn your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 23, verse 16. And Jesus is, is giving the, uh, the Pharisees, these are different woes that he uh, says to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. And he says, woe to you blind guides who say, <clears throat> if anyone swears by the temple, 
it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar, swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. So the Pharisees would go to great lengths to avoid keeping a vow. Now this is really comical in Matthew 23 because what's happening is the Pharisees had this whole system set up where they would find ways to avoid doing what they said they were going to do. And so what Jesus addresses here is pretty astonishing because he's talking about, he's addressing a system where they would say, yes, I know that I swore by the temple, but I didn't swear by the gold of the temple, so I don't have to keep my vow or my promise. Or I swore by the altar, but not by the gift that was on the altar. And so I don't have to keep my vow or my promise. So Jesus is saying, listen, all of this belongs to God. It all points to God. It all belongs to God. God is present everywhere, so we can't, we can't pick and choose when we're standing before God and when we're not. We always are. That's his point in Matthew 23. I think we, you and I forget. We forget that God sees everything sometimes. It's really amazing. We can be you know, following Christ for years and years, and it's like we forget that God knows everything, that he sees everything. Everything we say and do, every promise we make, God sees and he hears it, he knows about it. You and I, we can't choose the level to which God is with us. It's not like we can turn on some dial, right? You know, I'm, I'm at an eight when I'm in church, I'm at a three when I'm at work. Like, we can't, we can't play that game with God. God is, if you're a Christ follower, God, the Holy Spirit, is always with us. You know, in modern day, uh, you know, going back to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, the scribes and Pharisees, they want to address the letter of the law, but not the spirit. And they would allow themselves to contradict the, the spirit of the law and then pat themselves on the back because they hadn't broken the letter of the law. And so a modern day example of that might be someone who just lies all the time in their everyday life, but when under oath in a court of law, they tell the truth that one time, and now they're proud of themselves. You know, at least they didn't commit perjury, right? And like, really, that's the standard? But meanwhile, everyone that knows you and is in relationship to you knows that you're deceptive. You lie all the time, but you're going to pat yourself on the back for not committing perjury? And, and that's really what's being addressed here. You see, all lying is, is sin and against God's law, but not all lying is against the law of the land, if you understand that. You know, if we lie under oath, then we commit a crime. We commit perjury. But if we lie to a friend, a neighbor, a colleague, if a kid lies to a parent, no one's getting arrested. Now, I know parents wish they could use that with their kids, right? 
You know, did you eat that cookie? If you lie, I'm going to call the police. That would be a nice thing to be able to say sometimes, right? But we understand that, that there are, you can, you can be a person who lies and deceives, but it not necessarily rise to the level of perjury. And this is kind of how the system they had set up, giving themselves a way out of having to do what they said they were going to do with this system. So the Pharisees only cared about perjury, but Jesus cares about integrity. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think he says it well. He says, this utter rank dishonesty in connection with the things of God is to be exposed and denounced for the thing it is. The Pharisees were guilty of this in distinguishing between oath and oath, saying that some were binding and some not. And the result of all this teaching was that solemn oaths were being used commonly and lightly in, in conversation and with respect to almost everything. So because the Pharisees were declaring some oaths as binding and others as not, depending on what they swore upon when they made the oath, the common people began to adjust by turning everything into a solemn oath just to cover their bases. It reminds me of when Tim talked last week his analogy about how when you're playing a game and it seems that you know some people want to change the rules in the middle of the game to their advantage. And that's what the Pharisees were doing here. And the people are adjusting on the fly. The Pharisees are setting the rules of the game as they go. And they're saying, listen, if you didn't make a vow based on a certain aspect of the temple, then you're not really bound by your vow or your oath. If you didn't commit perjury, you're good. And so this is what Jesus addresses in back in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 34, he says this, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let, you, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So some believe that, look at this verse, and they think that Jesus is saying that no one should ever take an oath of any kind, even in a court of law. I don't think he's really saying that here, because we can look back in the Old Testament and see where God showed Israel how and when oaths should be taken. We also see oaths all over the Bible. We see Abraham makes an oath. Joseph makes an oath with his, with his brothers. David and Jonathan make an oath. God makes oaths and promises and covenants with his people. So I don't think it's saying that. Now you might ask why God needs to make a promise or an oath if he always tells the truth. I think the words of John Stott here are helpful. He says, the purpose of the divine oath was not to increase his credibility, but to draw out and confirm our faith. The fault which made God condescend to this human level, lay not in anything untrustworthy about him, but in our unbelief. So God made oaths, not because there was something faulty in him, but something faulty in us. And I just think about that, the idea that God makes promises, and God makes covenants. And you think about what, what a grace that is to us. God didn't have to do that. God could be 
a God who just, just does stuff without saying he's going to do those things. I think of John the Baptist showing up and, and kind of paving the way for Jesus, a forerunner, a forerunner for the Messiah. And God, could, he, he could have just sent the Messiah. And yet, he is a God who says, this is what I'm going to do. And then he does it. And he fulfills his promise. Think about how that should affect us in our hearts. What a grace that is to us, that God would do that for us. That God, God knows that we're going to struggle with trust, with one another, but also with him. And so God is the kind of God who says, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to follow through on my commitment and fulfill my promise. And that builds trust from us to him. So I don't believe that this is a prohibition from making an oath entirely, but there is something that Jesus prohibits here. I think he's saying don't swear by anything in heaven or on earth because it all belongs to God anyway. So if you take a vow by heaven, well, guess what? That's his throne. If you swear by the earth, that's his footstool. I've always just thought of that image of, of, it says that the earth is his footstool. Just a picture of God like propping his feet up on the earth. And so the earth belongs to him. If you swear by Jerusalem, well, that, that city belongs to him as well. Now, you and I, we might think that, well, my own head, my own head belongs to me. But it's still created by him, and it's under his control. And you and I don't have the power to change the color of a single hair. Now, I know that some think that they do, but they're not fooling anyone, right? So we may not, you and I may not swear by heaven or earth today, but we still have our ways of trying to get people to take us more seriously. I mean, even little kids say, you know, no, I promise promise, or I I pinky promise, or the biggest one, I blood promise. How many of you all ever made a blood promise with someone at some point in your life? You're, You're just too scared to admit that. I see a few hands out there, yes. It's a serious, serious thing. Now, today young people say things like, you know, no, for real, or no lie, or some even say no cap, right? And so there's ways in which they say these things to get someone else to take them more seriously. But really saying these things should be unnecessary because adding this to our language is really a confession of our own dishonesty, isn't it? I I know most of the time you can't trust me. But in this instance, you should. Really? Why should we? Right? But it's really a confession of, you know, I'm dishonest most of the time, but this time I'm really serious. I'm really not lying here. But I think in week one we talked about the character of a disciple. I think that relates here. Because you see, a Christian should be someone who's trustworthy and someone who doesn't lie. Now, you might say, okay, Dave, that's it. You spent 20 minutes telling us that we shouldn't lie. Something we already know to be true. You're taught that when you're a little kid, right? But here's the reality. We, even though we know this is who we should be, we fail at it. And we forget there's all kinds of, of, of ways that we lie. Sometimes we don't tell lies, but we live lies, 
Are you the same person in private as you are in public? I think the, the math nerds will really appreciate this next construct. Uh, when you think of just the math term of integer, which is, means a whole number, that's closely tied to the word integrity, which is like a whole person. And the word fraction, another math term, which is a partial number, that's closely tied to the word fractured, which is like a double-minded person. I want to take a time out here, and I got this little construct from a sermon I heard uh, by a pastor named Tim Keller, and I want to just pause here for a moment, because if you, um, I know you've heard us quote him a, a decent amount up here on the stage, and I feel like he, 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 uh, he passed away from cancer a couple of days ago, and, um, and I want to just let you know that, so you can be praying for uh, their church in New York City, but also the organization that he has led for so many years, Redeemer City to City. And, um, and one of the things that I so appreciate about him as a pastor from a distance is that I've, I've heard him say this in interviews and also in articles. He has talked about how he, he always wanted to learn from even his harshest critics. He said there's always a kernel of truth. No matter how harsh somebody was online or in an article that, that they wrote about him, he said, there's always something I can learn from whatever it is they have to say. Even if what they're saying is mean-spirited, he still wanted to learn from what they had to say. And from what I can tell people that have known him and written about him, I think he exhibited this idea of integrity, Christian integrity, in his ministry and in his life. And I think here are some helpful questions for us to ask. You know, do you, are you a person that, do you say one thing and do another? Do you say you believe one thing over here, but really you believe another thing over here in a different situation? Are you one way in public, but another way in private? Are you someone different at work than at church? Are you different online than in reality? You know, some people say, or people used to say things like, you know, I have to go, I have to go find myself, whatever that means. But now they can just create themselves. And we have ways of doing that today. I think of a recent, several years ago, you may have remembered this, there was the big uh, college admissions scandal. Do you all remember that? There were more than 50 people, some famous people charged in that whole scheme. And there was a whole scheme set up where the people are using their money, their wealth, to pay off people on the inside of some institutions, some well-known elite institutions. And just to get their kid into an elite school. And you might say, well, why are they doing all this? They already have notoriety and fame and fortune. What is the big deal about just getting your kid into a certain school? But they want to be able to say, you know, my kid goes to Georgetown or Stanford or Yale. And they're doing this for status and notoriety to prop up their name. But once it was discovered, their name was more tarnished than ever. And this is what deception does. You know, we, we lie to, to make a name or to protect our name, but in doing so, we destroy our name. And I think we had this cultural dilemma because people have been taught for so long there's no such thing as truth or truth is relative, but then everyone acts surprised when people lie, cheat, and steal. And I think recently we... We Christians have allowed ourselves to be pulled into the fray, the deception game. There's one prominent Christian writer, won't say his name, but implied in a recent book 
that sometimes Christians may need to tell a lie, tell a lie for the greater good. That lying is okay as long as you're doing it for a good cause. That's a tragedy. You know, what kind of a witness is this to the unbelieving world? If we claim to be people of truth, we can't traffic in lies. And for believers, the consequences of deception are even greater because we don't just tarnish our name, we tarnish the name of God. and we, we, we wreak havoc on the church. We wreak havoc on the gospel. So the issue isn't simply, you know, do I tell blatant lies? Because if we ask it that way, we're going to do what the Pharisees did, and we're going to congratulate ourselves for not committing perjury. So a better question for us, I think, is this. Am I a person of integrity? There are different kinds of lies we can get wrapped up in. <clears throat> the first is political lies. Now, not what you think I'm saying here, okay? But this will be an example of a political lie that we all do this in our everyday life. I would love to go, but I think I'll be out of town. And so we, we kind of play some politics, finding ways around things. Or how about exaggeration? We all do this. You know, you always, or you never. This often happens in, in a marriage relationship. You know, this is what you always do. You never do this. And really, it's an exaggeration. We're, we're inflating things to fit our own narrative. Or how about this one? It was the best steak I ever had. And yet your friends are like, they say that every week. And after a while, I mean, you start to not really trust what that person says. Like, everything is the best thing that they ever had, right? And so we inflate our words, and we exaggerate things. Broken promises. You know, my kids have a way of holding me to my word. When I say something to them, they'll refer back and they'll say, no, 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 dad, but, but you said, you said. And I'm like, I know what I said, but now I'm saying this. And my words today trump those words. I trumped myself. You see what I did there? But sometimes they're right. And they say, you kind of made a promise and, and, and you better do what you said you were gonna do. There's also benevolent lies. This is, you know, you're afraid to tell someone the truth. There's something that they really probably need to hear. And I put this one in for our graduating seniors. There's plagiarism, right? Now, we know um, back in the day, in, in our time, we had to work really hard at plagiarizing, right? We had to go online and search for stuff. And Now, I never did that, of course, but some people did. And they had to find you know, papers that sounded like they wrote it. But now they have this thing called artificial intelligence and chat GPT, which has a way of almost creating something out of nothing. And, and people are using these things to, to pass themselves off as these great writers or whatever it might be. And it's really plagiarism. I read recently that, that chat GPT grew 100 times over in the first month of its release. It's, it's really astounding. And then there's just routine lies. You know, saying everything is fine when it's not really fine. And we know what those kinds of lies are. As I, I, was, I was thinking about this message, I, I kept coming back to this idea of 
there's something I, that I think I see in myself and also just in the greater church sometimes that we see, and it's just this temptation towards Christian flakiness. And I think what happens is we presume, we know that grace is a part of, it's a part of our faith. We know that. The Bible obviously talks about that pretty clearly. But we presume upon the grace of other people so much that we can fall into flakiness sometimes and not be people of our word, people that stand by our word, people who do what we said we were going to do. When I think of the opposite example of that, someone, people who are not flaky, I think of many of the leaders I have down there at the Outback on Sundays and Wednesdays with our high school students. I think especially of the group of leaders. I wanted to honor our seniors today, but I also wanted to honor the, the leaders of that class have been an amazing group as well. And I think if there's one, one of my leaders down there um, who's been with the, a guy named Caleb DeLord, has been with these guys since they were in fifth grade and walked with them all the way through junior high and high school. And I have other leaders in that class as well, Dr. Chris Johnson and David Merrick and Bianca Ramirez and Becca Stelzer and Kelly Johnson and others as well. And here's what they did. They showed up. And they showed their character and they did what they said they were going to do. And a large group of those leaders, they're not done. They're seeing this class through, and many are going back down to the freshmen and starting all over again to work with those students as well. And so I'll say this to the graduating seniors. This is your chance to go do that for someone else, for you to go show up in someone else's life. And be a person who is consistent and stable and steady and a person who does what you say you're going to do. Do you know how many people can look at someone in their life and say, you know what, they didn't come through for me. They didn't keep their promise. But you've got a chance to go now, leave from this place, and go be that for somebody else. Go do that for someone else. You know, you can't, Always take your athletic accomplishments with you or your GPA with you. But you know what you can take with you? You can take your integrity. You can take your character with you. You can be a light for the gospel in a dark place. And think of just how that stands out in our world today. Being a person who has integrity and character and follows through on commitments. I mean, so few people do. Imagine what that can do for the kingdom of God if you're someone who carries yourself in that way. So remember, the Sermon on the Mount is one sermon. The whole thing builds on itself. And in week one, we saw when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is really about spiritual impoverishment, bankruptcy before God. So whenever we hear him say, it's not just murder, it's anger, it's not just adultery, it's lust, and here... It's not just perjury, it's all types of deception. We begin to feel how bankrupt we truly are spiritually. So why are we, the people of the truth, so bad at truth-telling? You know, telling the truth is always costly. We don't tell the truth because we realize if we do, there's going to be a price, and we're unwilling to pay it much of the time. So where do we turn? I look over in Hebrews chapter 6. 
where the writer refers to God making this promise to Abraham. And when God makes a promise, to whom does God appeal? Well, he appeals to himself. And he makes an oath or a promise, and he appeals to himself. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16 to 20, where it says, People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchanging things, that's the promise and the oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. So when Jesus, he died on the cross, the veil of the Holy of Holies was torn in the temple, torn in two, and giving us full access to God's presence. So he bears that cost so that we can be people who tell the truth and people that live in the truth. So because of the gospel, we can handle the truth about ourselves. We can handle the truth about God. We can handle the truth about the world that you and I find ourselves in. And we don't have to hide from the truth anymore. So what is the secret to becoming a person of integrity? It's recognizing that you're always in his presence. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for reminding us that you're always with us. For those who know you, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And so you are, you are with us in a very real way. God, may we be people that never forget that. Whenever we are in the quietness of our own homes, the places in which we work and live, God, help us to be people who understand that you are with us continually at all times. God, help us to be a light in those places. God, we also pray for anyone here that doesn't yet know you today. We pray that they would, would be able to leave, uh, leave aside, leave behind the deceptive lies about who you are and about who they are before you. We pray that they would be able to come to you in full knowledge and in full surrender, understanding who you are and what you've done for them on the cross. They would reach out to you through prayer and through surrender and want to give their life to you, Father, this morning. God, make your truth so real to them that they can't deny its truth, they can't deny its power. God, I pray they would invade every aspect of their lives and they'd be a person who who wants to live in the truth and live for the truth. Father, we pray this in your name. Amen.